Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, as we come before your word this morning, open our hearts, open our minds to the great joy that we have in Christ Jesus. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we finished our series. It was a four-part series in We Believe in the Resurrection. And I don't know about you, but the one word that really came to the forefront for me after completing this series was jubilant. I was filled with greater joy. Even that song that we just sang was perfect. And, you know, quite frankly, I was thinking... Boy, that's a long, that's how many verses are we going to do? How many, that's a, that was a lot of rejoicing, wasn't it? But I thought, well, that's also perfect because it is a lot of rejoicing in the resurrection. You see, the resurrection isn't just some past event. It is a present effect, present effect in our lives as the same. Let me read it because it's better read. The resurrection isn't just some past event, but it has a present effect in our lives. We have the assurance of an imperishable inheritance. We have the assurance that death is not the final answer. And we have the assurance of victory through Jesus. And that's another song we sing, right? Victory in Jesus. But man, that has more meaning to me after going through that particular series. And we're not done, because now we go into this next part. We believe in the ascension. The ascension happened 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead. So the ascension that was actually celebrated this calendar year was this past Thursday, May 26. That was the day of the ascension that we would normally celebrate, and today is Ascension Sunday. And just like the resurrection isn't just some past event, but has a present effect in our lives, so it is with the ascension. The ascension is not just some past event, but it should have a present effect in our lives. That it makes us look upward past the circumstances in our life And in our world right now, which, quite frankly, can be very hard, very dark. So it has us be lifted up. And this morning, here's our roadmap. We are going to see that the ascension is of real joy. Not a fake joy, but a real joy. And that it is to our advantage, and ultimately, to His glory, to Christ's glory. So let's start with the first part, which is the ascension is of real joy. We go to Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So for a quick refresher, Luke is not one of the original apostles. He became a follower, a disciple of Jesus. Luke was a beloved companion of Paul, and so he traveled extensively with Paul. He was also a physician, and some would say that he was the very first 
Christian historian. So let me ask you, what does a physician and a historian, what are characteristics that a historian and a physician need? Attention to detail, right? You certainly don't want your doctors going, whoops. And with historians, you want them to accurately record what they saw, what they heard, what eyewitnesses saw and heard. And this is exactly what Luke did. As a matter of fact, archaeologists, in the very beginning of archaeology in, uh, in Jerusalem, in Israel, the Middle East there, they used the Gospel of Luke for much of their work to guide them. Even today, even the skeptics acknowledge how good Luke was as a historian. There was a, um, a fellow, Sir William Mitchell Ramsey. How's that? And with a name like that, you got to know he was English. And he was an English historian, first rate. And he was also very anti-biblical person. I mean, he, he was just against the Bible. But even he said this. There are reasons for placing the author of Acts, Luke, replacing the author of Acts among the historians of first rank. So, Luke is writing to this person, Theopolis. We don't know much about Theopolis. He was, uh, actually, Luke wrote the gospel of Luke to Theopolis, and then also to, uh, for Acts. This is why he says, in the first book, O Theopolis. Now, the first book is then the gospel according to Luke. And he was very detailed in it. It's the longest of the Gospels. It has over 24,000 words. And it took us a year and a half to go through it in Bible study. As you know, we don't go fast, right? But we go deep. When people, This was the first book in our Bible study that we read. When I came here, and I said, so what book do you want to study? And they said, Luke. And I said, are you ready for, to be in Luke for a year? And they just like laughed. Ha, ha, ha. How could we be in Luke for a year? Well, it took us a year and a half. Because that's how rich it is. So he's writing to Theophilus. He says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's the gospel of Luke. Until the day when he was taken up and he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom. So Jesus gave many proofs from his resurrection to his ascension. So what are some of those many proofs? Well, he appeared to his disciples. He appeared to over 500 people. He talked with people. He ate with them. He let Thomas touch his wounds. He made breakfast, and he taught them. Look, He gave the best Bible studies you would ever have to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, to to the apostles and other disciples. At the very end of Luke, it says, Then he said to them, Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, that's the first five books, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, must be fulfilled. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all the nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And that's the thing. They were witnesses. They were eyewitnesses of what occurred. The apostles and many of the disciples were truly eyewitnesses. Peter wrote about this. John wrote about this in his first letter. He says, we heard, we saw, we touched, and he repeats that over and over again. Here I've got from 1 John chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. With us, And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things that are, so that our joy may be complete. John says, I'm writing this so you believe. And that you believe my joy will be complete. See, just as we have joy in the real reality of the resurrection, we have joy because of the reality of the ascension. It wasn't something that was made up. Eyewitnesses were there. They professed, confessed to it. So we have a real joy. Again, I don't see, it's just amazing when you really study God's word, how it works on you. I mean, really, for me, going through that whole series on the resurrection, I just like more and more joy. And good name for a church, by the way. And, and even in this one, there's just more and more joy at this, the reality of the resurrection. And it was done to our advantage. So going on, I'm going to read verse 4 and 5 and then 8. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, to the end of the earth. You know, it's amazing when you read Scripture how many times uh, the Lord has to repeat things to us. You know, we want to get sidetracked this way and that way. But Jesus repeats to the disciples so that they would understand. And here he says that there is a promise there to be in Jerusalem and there is a promise of the Father. So what was the promise of the Father? Did you catch it? It is the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus actually refers all the way back to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a prophet, right? The greatest prophet. And what did John the Baptist say? Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance... But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. The sandals 
I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Doesn't that sound like uh, like Pentecost? Pentecost is coming up next Sunday. And there is the power of the Holy Spirit in just 10 short days after the ascension. You see, the advantage of Jesus ascending is that the Holy Spirit will come and give them power for the task at hand. Now, this word power is called dynamis. That's the original Greek word, and it's the word for which we get dynamite. Now, I've heard many pastors and so forth, I I think, go too far with using this word, saying that uh, the Holy Spirit is explosive, and your church is just going to explode with power. Well, that wasn't the original use of the word power. Power in this context truly means the ability to do something. It is the power of God to act in and through us. That's the power we're talking about. See, when the Holy Spirit is with you and empowers you, it's not like you all of a sudden go from an introvert to an extrovert. That's not what happens. But you find yourself bolder in your faith than you had been before. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, we have no power whatsoever for the work of God apart from the power of God given to us in the Holy Spirit. Say it again. We have no power whatsoever for the work of God apart from the power of God given to us through the Holy Spirit. On my own, I have no spark whatsoever. I wouldn't even be a sparkler, or to take it even further, I'd be a dud for the power of God. I know I stretched on that one. But it's true. It's true. I mean, since I've been here with this family, and by the way, I I noticed that it was four years uh, just yesterday, day before that Heidi and I arrived here. Uh, in Fountain Hills, and we had no family here, we had no friends here, we came because the church, because God called us, but now we have a family, and just love the ministry, and for me, the Holy Spirit just working in me, making it more passionate, as you've heard before, you know, it's, I preach more like a Baptist with Lutheran theology, But that's the power of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) They would never say that in a Lutheran seminary. We want you to preach like a Baptist. Can you imagine that? (laughs) But it is to our advantage that the Holy Spirit comes. Go back to the Gospel of John. I would encourage you to read it. I'm going to read it in entirety, what we had. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because of the the ruler of this world is judged. 
I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit comes, gives us power, and it's the Holy Spirit who convicts people of their sin. Have you ever done this? Have you ever gone up to somebody and and try to be very polite and nice and point out some of their flaws? How's that go? Right? The only power you have is to make people cross their arms and be defensive. That's the power you have in trying to convict somebody of their sin. And they experience it, and we experience it more like finger-wagging. Oh, you bad person, right? Something like that. We don't have power to convict of sin, but the Holy Spirit does. And it's the Holy Spirit who convicts others of their sin. But it's more than that. It's not that just they're a sinful person, but they have sinned against God. And it's only the Holy Spirit that convicts somebody of their sin against God. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit points them to Christ Jesus, who is the answer for their sin sin. That is the advantage of the Holy Spirit coming. See, the Holy Spirit will point and glorify to Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't look for glory unto himself. He points to Christ Jesus, and Jesus is glorified. And it also says then that we are to be witnesses. So when we talk to people, we are witnesses. As a matter of fact, if you take a look at the whole book of Acts, it could be summed up in one word, witness. But, as one person said, effective witness can only be born where the Holy Spirit is, and where the Spirit is, effective witness will always follow. Most of us shy away from sharing our faith. I know that, right? We do. Because we think we have to do it on our own. But you don't. When you're actually filled by the power of the Holy Spirit, you start to share. You start. And I know that word witness is so heavy laden, right? Got to be a witness. You share, right? You just, you share your faith with others. And it could be wherever you happen to be. It could be praying for somebody. There was a guy at Ace Hardware. I overheard that he... uh, had an MRI, another employee was talking to him, and he had, um, he should have been dead, he said, he had severe vertebrae issues in his neck, so I just asked if I could pray for him in the middle of an aisle at Ace Hardware, and he said, yes, I would like that. This is what happens, and I know, I know in secret that some of you have been becoming alive in the Spirit, because you've told me, I never would have done that before. That's the work of the Spirit. Okay? There's still more advantage to us. Here we go to a different scripture. 
and the advantage of Jesus going away, go to the gospel of uh, John chapter 14. In my Father's house there are many, room, are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus, in his ascension, has gone to prepare a place for you. But you do notice that he doesn't say, I'm going to take you to heaven. What does he say? I'm going to take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So the answer to the question, where is heaven? Wherever Jesus is. That's heaven. So he ascends. And he has prepared, listen carefully. Listen very carefully. He has prepared a place for you. And it is secured not because of what you have done, but because what he has done. And he stands there at the very throne of God making intercession for you because he is also our high priest. See, Jesus prepares that place for us both as our Lord and Savior and as our high priest and intercessor. And therefore, we come to him with confidence. Not just like, well, I hope he hears me. Did you ever have that one? I don't know, I've been pretty bad this week. I don't know if he's going to listen to me. But no, he, he is there making intercession for you. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And also Hebrews chapter 9, For Christ entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. We have confidence. So we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have a place prepared. And because of his ascension, we have a high priest who has prepared a future place for us. And all of this, I hope you can understand, is not only to our advantage, but to his glory. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, clouds often signify God's very presence or inbreaking into the world. If you think about this, the clouds around Mount Sinai. Go to Daniel, the clouds where the Son of Man descended. At the transfiguration, the clouds. And now you've got clouds here. This is about the glory of God receiving Christ Jesus in his exaltation, his glory. I think our reading from Psalm 24, which was our call to worship, really kind of 
anticipates this grandeur. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And then the question arises, well, who is this King of glory? And thus, the Christ Jesus, His title is declared, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. This is the grand homecoming, if you will, of Christ Jesus, His coronation. Here we have the crowns of thorn are replaced by the crowns of glory. No longer is He on the earth in in the humility of the fleshly body, of being surrounded by fleshly sin all around Him. He is the triumphant king here. He is the victor over Satan, over death and hell. He is the Lord of glory. Can you imagine what a coronation that is? I mean, we we don't see that very often. We think maybe ticker tape parades or something like that. But here's what it says in Revelation chapter 5. And I, I heard every creature, every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth and in the sea, and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. It was a joyous celebration at his ascension. And so you can take that joy knowing that we worship a living Lord, a living King who sits at the right hand of God and his reign is everlasting. Imagine you were with the disciples, the apostles, right there, and the cloud, and he's lifted up. And it says, actually in, in, in Luke, it says they left with joy. They were just in awe because it was real. And it was prophesied. And it happened. And so they were filled with that joy, just standing I probably would have stood there for an hour. Wouldn't you? Just standing. But as it is, while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come the same way as you saw go into heaven. So these men, these angels had again brought forth the prophecy, what Jesus said, that he will come again in his glory. This time, not as a babe in a lowly manger, but as the king coming all in his might and power and glory. Isn't that joyous? Yeah, amen, right? Amen. So, application for you, right? We not only hear the word, But we apply the word. Just as the resurrection is not just some past event, but has a real and present effect in our lives, so should the ascension. So for you today, keep your heart and soul lifted heavenward, no matter the circumstance. And we are in a pretty dark time in our country right now with so many things happening. And it's really easy to just look downward. But know of the resurrection and the ascension and be lifted 
upward in that. Psalm 16, which was one of our readings, it says this, I have set the Lord before me always because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Do not be shaken in your faith, no matter the circumstances. Boldly pray to Jesus. Be bold in your prayers to him, knowing that he is our high priest and intercessor. And then finally, pray for the Holy Spirit to give you power and wisdom and insight for the work that he has prepared for you. Amen? Amen.